0: Good morning. Good to see everyone here today. We're thankful for your presence, and I hope that you are blessed by being among us for this time of worship. I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open to First Peter 1, beginning in verse 13, going through verse 21, as we continue thinking about uh, living healthy Christian lives in a toxic world. And that will be our continuing theme today as we continue to work our way through the letter of uh, 1 Peter. Uh, And let me just say at the beginning here, uh, of course, this is a letter written to believers in Christ, to people who committed themselves to following Jesus. And if that doesn't yet describe you, we hope that it will. We hope that you will give serious thought to following Jesus, and if that uh, is your decision that you'll let us know either at the end of the service or afterward or uh, at any time that you, that you will, that you want to follow Christ, you're ready to confess your faith in him and be baptized into him and have your sins forgiven and become his child. That would be the greatest blessing of your life and a great blessing to many others as well. Uh, let's begin with a prayer, please. Father, we are thankful that we can come together today. We're thankful for your servant, Peter, thankful for this record that he left behind for all these centuries later to guide us in our walk through this world. Father, we know that if we are following that walk, then it will lead us to Jesus and that Jesus leads us to your heart. And we pray, Father, that as we worship today, that we will draw nearer to your heart. Bless us in all that we do. Open our hearts and our minds as we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. When God first brought the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, he led them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and he gave Moses a message for the people. The message was this, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's who Israel was supposed to be. From that day forward, they were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to the Lord. The formula was simple. God said, I have delivered you. Now you are to be holy. And from that day on, no matter where they were, no matter among whom they lived, no matter how hostile the environment in which they lived was to their faith, they were to be holy to the Lord. Now, as you've probably heard, the word holy basically means set apart. It also means to be different. And we are set apart because we are different. And that's what God wanted for Israel. He wanted them to be set apart for his service. They were to be his people (laughs) in this world, carrying out his, his will. And that was going to make them different from everybody else. When you devote yourself to serving God, you're going to be different. You will be holy. And that's exactly what God has called us to. So even when they were exiles, as they often were, and living in the midst of people who did not share their faith, people who were not even tolerant of their faith, even then they were expected to be holy. There were not any exceptions to that. And it's no different for us as Christian exiles today. We have that same call to holiness. And I hope you were listening closely to 1 Peter 1, 13 to 21 and heard that call in Peter's words. See, being in exile means being in the minority of faith. And that means being under pressure to conform to ungodly ways. But that is not an option for God's people. That is not an option because that will lead us away from holiness. And so as Israel was called on to be holy, no matter where they were, no matter among whom they lived, no matter what they were doing, no exceptions. The same is true for us today. We're living in a toxic world. I don't have to prove that to you. You read the papers and watch the news and hear all the other garbage that goes on in the world. And you know that the world in which we're living is toxic to faith. And you know that it becomes a greater challenge day by day to live out your faith uh, in in this world. But still, God has called us to holiness. Now, that's a tall order because it's not easy being holy in a culture that's toxic to your faith. We run into all kinds of challenges, don't we? The media and entertainment constantly trying to pull us toward immorality and toward self-centeredness and toward ungodliness of all kinds. If we reflected even a a percentage uh, of the ungodliness that we see and hear about in the world around us, we would not be God's holy people. It's hard to be holy in this world. It's a challenge to be holy in this world because there's so much working against us and so much out there that's antithetical to what we've been called to live in Christ Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about that in Ephesians 5, 11, and 12. And he's speaking about the sexually impure and idolatrous people of his day. And Paul said, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. He said it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And when I read that, I think, what on earth would Paul think if he were among us today? What would he think? Because those things that he was talking about, that people were doing in secret, they now do in the open. And not only are they done in the open, but they're applauded by many in our society. We are living in a world that is toxic to faith. And it's going to be a great challenge to lead holy lives. And so no matter what's going on, we're called to lead those lives. And even though you and I may not do such things, even though we may not practice the things that are going on in the immoral and godly world around us, it's still dangerous for us. And let me tell you why. Because there's always the temptation for us to be just a little bit better than the world around us and think that's holiness. And it's not even close. True holiness is not being just a little less wicked than the world around you. True holiness is not being just a little less immoral than the world around you. True holiness is not being a little less worldly than the world. True holiness is being what God has called us to be. We are called to truly holy lives. And holiness is not optional for us. Did you notice the reading in in the beginning? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Without holiness, without holiness, Hebrews 12, 14 says, no one will see the Lord. If you leave here with one thought in your mind this morning, I'd like for it to be that one. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Because you know what that means? That means that if we do not lead holy lives, if you do not lead a holy life, you will not see the Lord. You will not have eternal life. You will not live in God's presence throughout eternity. You will not see him. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We have to get something straight here about this because we get mixed up about it. Somebody says, but isn't salvation by grace through faith? Therefore, holiness becomes a secondary concern. No, that isn't it at all. Salvation is by grace through faith. We cannot save ourselves. Only God's grace through Jesus' death and resurrection can, ac- can accomplish that. But that salvation by grace through faith must be accompanied by holy living. The people to whom Hebrews 12, 14 was written were people who had been saved by grace through faith. And yet the writer says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord Salvation by grace through faith has to be accompanied by that life of holiness. Or it is what James called in his letter a dead faith. A dead faith because it produces nothing. It gets us nowhere. You see, God's grace is not a license to ignore holiness. That's the way a lot of people think about it, though. They've been told once you're in God's grace, it doesn't matter what you do. And there's simply no truth in that. It always matters to God what you do. It always matters to God. And so even though we are saved by grace through faith, as Christian exiles, we are called to be holy in all of our conduct, Scripture tells us. We are called to holiness even as we are saved by grace through faith. Holiness is to characterize everything that we, are, that we do. Now, because holiness is so important, we have to know two things. We have to know how to be holy and we need to know why to be holy. And that's what Peter talks about in this paragraph. So let's talk, first of all, about what he says about how to be holy. How do we go about leading holy lives in a toxic world? First of all, Peter says, make up your mind that you will be holy. Make up your mind that your life is gonna be a holy life. Look at verse 13 and notice the word therefore. He says, therefore, Girding up the loins of your mind, literally, is what he says. Girding up the loins of your mind. What does that mean, to gird up the loins of your mind? That's not an expression we use much anymore, is it? Well, back in Peter's day, people wore garments. Even men wore garments that were kind of long and a bit dress-like. And so if you got ready to do some hard work, you had to pull that thing up, and you had to tie it around. You had to gird it up. So when you girded up your loins, you tied it around your middle, that meant you were getting ready for action. Peter says, get your mind ready for action. Get your mind ready for serious thinking about holy living and get rid of any sloppy thinking because he also says uh, that we are supposed to be sober minded. And some people say, well, he's talking about just not getting drunk on alcohol. And I'm sure that includes that. But I think it's more than that. I think sober-minded means clear-headed, thinking seriously. Thinking seriously about how to live holy lives. Thinking seriously about what is right and what is wrong and, and committing ourselves to doing that which is right. Preparing your minds for action is what Peter says that we need to do. Sober-mindedness is clear-headedness. Think about what's right and wrong, determined to do right. And then Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means we don't set our hopes on this world anymore. We don't set our hopes on a better economy We don't set our hopes on an election. We don't set our hopes on a cure for diseases. We don't set our hopes on attaining a certain level of financial security. We set our hopes fully, only, on the the grace, the glory that is to be ours at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what our lives become about. That becomes the purpose, the goal for which we live. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, have a clear idea of what it is that you're striving for and don't let anything interfere with that. We get a perfect example of that in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. You remember that Daniel was in exile. Daniel was taken captive to Babylon. as just a very young man, he and his three friends. And when they got to Babylon, because they were uh, outstanding people, they had a lot of quality to them, they were to be trained for service in the Babylonian court. And so they were going to be fed from the king's table. They were going to be fed the king's rich food and given the king's wine to drink and uh, all those other things. And you think, you know, if I were in exile and, and carried off to, to some other country that was not my own, that's about the, that's about the coolest job you could get. You know, you're not just going to have to grub around and eat slave food. You're going to eat what the king eats. And that sounded really good, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. But Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 says that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, we could go on and talk for a while about why He thought that food or that drink would defile him, but nevertheless, whatever the reason, he believed it would be defiling, and he had made up his mind that he wouldn't do it. I like the way the King James Version puts it. It says he purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that the king drank. Don't wait until you're under pressure to make up your mind. Don't wait until you're under pressure to conform, to resolve that you are not going to be unholy. Don't wait until the pressure, the forces are in play and you find yourself in a difficult situation. Purpose in your heart now, if you haven't already, that your life is going to be a holy life. That there's just things you're not going to do. You're just not going to do them. And there are other things you will always do because they are right. They are holy Peter says, first of all, if you're going to live a holy life, you've got to make up your mind to be holy. The second way he says to be holy is to refuse to be conformed to unchristian behavior. Verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Sounds a lot like Romans 12, too, doesn't it? You know, Paul had said uh, in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice that both Peter and Paul talk about the mind the role of the mind in holiness you got to make up your mind or you'll never be holy but also they both say don't be conformed to this world be transformed by the renewing of your mind along with determining that we're going to do right we have to refuse to be conformed to unchristian behavior don't try to keep living the way that you did before you found christ peter says don't revert to your B.C. life. Don't let those things continue to characterize your existence in the way that they once did. And don't live the way that others around you do who don't know Christ. Because that's what holiness is. It's about being different, different from what you were, and being different from what a godless world is. Not because we're better than other people in the world, but simply because we recognize that that behavior is not holy. And we're going to live in a holy way, and so we have to renounce that which is unholy. We know what God expects, and we have purpose in our hearts that we're going to do it. That's how you live a holy life. It's really that simple. You, first of all, resolve, that's what I'm going to do. And then secondly, you refuse to be conformed to ungodliness. Now, that's the how. What does Peter say about why? To lead a holy life what are our motives for holiness let me point out four to you that he mentions in these verses motive number one is to reflect the character of god to reflect the character of god himself look at verses 15 and 16 you shall be holy for i am holy peter's quoting there he's quoting from the book of leviticus Over and over in the book of Leviticus, God would give some portion of his law to Israel and then he would say, for you shall be holy, for I am holy. And then he'd give them another piece of that law and he'd say, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What was he saying? He was saying that the character of God's people has to reflect the character of God. If we're truly going to be His, if we're truly going to belong to Him and be blessed by Him, then we have to reflect the character of God Himself. Our character should reflect His character, and that's that's vitally important for exiles. Let me tell you why it's so important for exiles to reflect the character of God. And this may come as something of a surprise to you, but the truth is people will judge God by what they see in us. And they will judge us by what little they know of God. They'll judge God by what they see in us, and they'll judge us by what little they know of God. Let me give you an example. You ask almost anybody who believes in God, not saying they're necessarily a follower of Jesus, but they believe in God. Almost anybody who believes in God will tell you that God is love. God is love. All the unbelievers know that one, don't they? All the unbelievers know that verse. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. People know that God is love. If his people are not love, if his people are not characterized by love, not exhibiting love, what will unbelievers conclude? They will conclude either A, that we don't really know God, or B, that God's not really a God of love. Just look at his people. They'll either conclude that we don't know him or that he's not what they've heard. Exiles can't afford either one. We can't let that happen. We have to show people who God is so that they will truly know him. Motive number one, reflecting the character of God. Motive number two is fear. Verse 17 And if you call on him as father, Who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now here's a verse that will help us clear up some of the confusion about grace. The God that we call Father is also the one who judges impartially according to our deeds. It's not like that until we become Christians, he's, he's the judge, and once we become ju- uh, Christians, he's the father, and he ceases to be the judge. He's both. The one we call on his father is also the one who judges impartially according to our deeds. So, Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Paul said the same thing, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive good or evil according to what we've done in the body. It's that simple. We're all going to stand before God, and our lives are going to be judged. You see, what you do matters, even under grace. And for those who are following Christ and those who want to be God's holy people, we should always fear that somehow we will become distracted or deceived by the world and fail to be what God has called us to be. We ought to fear that. You see, fear is what keeps us from being presumptuous about our relationship with God. I've met people who were, it seemed to me, presumptuous about their relationship with God. They'd say, it doesn't make any difference. What I do? I'm okay with God. Really? Moses didn't believe that. Paul didn't believe that. Peter didn't believe that. Fear keeps us from being presumptuous about our relationship with God. We're saved by His grace, but He's still God and He's still our judge as well as our Father. So if you've got something going on in your life that shouldn't be there, don't presume that somehow it's just going to all be okay because you're under grace. That's a false assumption. God has called you to holiness. You see, that's part of that sloppy thinking that we had to clear out of the way. According to the verses that we read earlier. That's where we've got to be sober minded, clear headed. That God is calling his people to be redeemed by his grace, but to live holy lives. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Peter says, you know what that means? All your life. Until you're at home with the Lord, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Motive number two is fear. Motive number three is gratitude. Just being grateful for what God has done for us in Christ. Verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Peter says, live a holy life because you know you've been ransomed and you've been ransomed at a high price. I can't imagine how scary it would be to be kidnapped. But I would just imagine if I were kidnapped and and the kidnappers were saying, unless the ransom is paid, you're going to die. And somebody came forward and paid that ransom, I can't imagine the gratitude I would feel. I can't imagine the relief. I can't imagine the appreciation that would be there. I believe I would be willing to do just about anything for that person, don't you? We've been ransomed, Peter says, from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, but not with perishable things like silver and gold, not with money, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. You see, there was a time we were all held captive. We were all held captive by Satan. You know why Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, deliver us from evil, but I think it's more correctly translated, deliver us from the evil one. We were all held captive. We were all, we were all held for ransom. We were all held captive in sin. Spiritual death was certain, but Jesus came and gave his life on the cross that we might be able to live and to be set free. And now he calls us to follow him in leading a holy life. And if we're grateful, if we're grateful, that's what we'll do. It's not too much to ask because the payment is not with money, not with perishable things. It's with his blood. So if there's any sin or unholiness in our lives, surely we'll be willing to give it up for what Jesus did for us. Motive number three is gratitude. Motive number four we've already talked about because it's been Peter's theme throughout this whole chapter. And that's the greatness of our salvation. Verses 20 and 21, you'll notice it's kind of a long, complicated sentence. It's almost as if Peter can't find enough words to adequately express How wonderful it is to be saved by Jesus' blood. He says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. When you get home, I hope you'll sit down and think about that sentence. I hope you'll think about what's said there. Because Peter is telling us That it all begins with God. It begins with what God did to redeem us. And it all ends up with God because it brings us back to Him so that our faith and our hope are in God. They're not in ourselves, they're not in this life, they're not in anything that we can do for ourselves. Our faith and our hope are in God. When God brought Israel out of bondage in Egypt, He said, Here's the thing you've been delivered. Now be holy. God has brought us out of bondage through the blood of Jesus. You've been delivered. Now be holy. Let's stand together and sing. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's